Yaakov put his right hand on the younger and his left hand on the older. Yisachar's land was pleasant, yet he bent his shoulder. Yehuda is compared to a crouching lion. After his death, Yaakov was brought back to Zion. Okay, so this week's Parsha is Parshat Vayechi. And uh, the Parsha begins by um, Yaakov asking Yosef, to once the once Yaakov dies to bring his body back to the land of Israel, and uh, and and he says, "Do chesed ve'emet, uh, do kindness and truth with me, and do not bury me in the land of Egypt." And uh, Rashi understands this chesed ve'emet to actually be chesed shel emet, meaning kindness, not kindness and truth, but sort of kindness of truth, and. The lesson there being is that only that Rashi says that only in death can a person can uh, only when you're helping a dead person and and preparing the the body is it possible to do something completely kind and not expect anything in return. So there's a couple interesting things to learn from this. The first thing being that when we do um, chesed for the living, you know, when you do a kind thing for a living person. It's not always so clear that it's, it's that it's actually kind. We might think that it's kind, but in reality, it may backfire. It, the, the person that we're doing it for may not think that it's kind. So one thing I heard on this was that chesed ve'emet uh, in regards to, to dead people is that there's only you can only do kindness uh, to a dead person by preparing their body. So and you can't do it. And, and if you think you're doing kindness then you are doing kindness is where with um, when you're doing it for a live person, it's not always so clear that uh, what you're doing is actually kind. Uh, the other lesson to take from this is that, you know, Rashi says that we, um, that, that, that only in, in death is it possible to do something for someone, for, for, for a dead person. And, they'll never be able to repay you because they're dead. And that's why it's chesed, it's, it's kindness without expecting anything in return. But you could flip that on its head and say the opposite is also true, being that um, chesed shall emit, being that, that if, we, if someone does kindness for us, that it's expected, according to Rashi here, that basically we return the favor. That uh, that that the only time it's not expected that we return the favor is literally if we're dead and we can't uh, we can't do anything. So the it, but a general case where someone's doing kindness for a live human being, it's expected that that live human being will return that kindness with a smile, with a thank you note, uh, with the next time that that person needs uh, help that they'll they'll be there to help them. Uh, sort of there's a, an expectation that there's going to be some reciprocity on the chesed shall emit. So when something does, when someone does something nice for you, there's sort of a, an expectation that uh, you'll return the favor, according to Rashi. Um, so long as you're so so long as you're living, uh, there's an expectation you're going to return the favor. So moving on. So uh, Yosef he swears to his father Yaakov that he'll take Yaakov's body back to the land of of Israel, and Yaakov bows down to the head of the bed. And Rashi there explains that the Shekhinah, the, the divine presence, that it rests, that it that the Shekhinah rests near the bed of the sick. And Rabbi Wolbe explains what this means. Rabbi Wolbe says that 
um, when the Shekhinah rests by the bed of the sick, it's because sick people realize sort of their own fallibility. They realize that they are close to death. They realize that uh, they're not in the best of health. That, that And basically, they are forced, in a way, to rely on God. And because of that, that's why the that's why sort of God is rests near near their bed um so you know an interesting thing to note that sometimes it's when we're sick sometimes it's when we're not necessarily in the best of health that it's it's dafka then it's 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 specifically there uh when a person's sick that they are sort of closest uh in spirituality because they realize their own fallibility and in those times then the shechina rests uh at their bed okay so moving on Yaakov, um, so, so Yaakov, uh, he makes Ephraim and Menashe, who are uh, Yosef's sons, he, Yaakov says, you know what, they're actually going to be my sons, even though they're, they're actually, Ephraim and Menashe are actually his grandsons, he makes them into his own, his own children. And why is that? So Rabbi Moshe Feinstein here explains that uh, Yosef was such a tremendous teacher to his sons, that his sons, um, Ephraim and Menashe, were almost, even though Ephraim and Menashe had, had never met, uh, had never met Yaakov, had never met their grandfather because they were born in Egypt and they didn't meet them until they were older. But even though they didn't meet them until they were older, it was as if Ephraim and Menashe were like the children of Yaakov because, uh, according to Rav Moshe Feinstein, Yosef was such a tremendous teacher that he was able to sort of uh, give over all of his father's messages to the point that it was as if his father himself, Yaakov himself, uh, had been teaching him. So moving on to Yaakov, uh, when he's about to bless Ephraim and Menashe, he says, Me Eila, who, who are these? And what's surprising about this is that he Yaakov already knows who they are. Yaakov has lived in uh, in Egypt now for a long time, and he knows who his grandchildren are. Namely, he knows who Ephraim and Menashe are. So the, the Midrash explains that Yaakov saw that, uh, that, that both Ephraim and Menashe would be the, uh, uh, would be the forefathers of evil kings. And the Midrash says that basically uh, Yaakov was confused. Who are these people that I, I don't know someone that has, uh, you know, their descent, who, who, who their uh, descendants will become evil kings. And that was so shocking to, uh, to Yaakov to, to see that, that ultimately he, he had sort of this prophetic vision, this, this sort of, he could see into the future to see that Ephraim and Menashe would have evil son, evil kings as, as, uh, as descendants. And that turned off Yaakov so much. It was like, who are these people? They're alien. And um, that that goes sort of and and basically so Yaakov when he said Miela he was he was about to bless them and when you're about when you are about to bless a person it's better to really forget the bad things about them even if it's true that Ephraim and Menashe would eventually have descendants that are evil kings it's best that uh, Yaakov forgets about that when he's blessing them. And he worked so hard to forget it, he literally forgot who Ephraim and Menashe were, and he had to ask, who are these? Um, the Orachim says somewhat of a similar point, that when Yaakov says, Mi'ela, who are these? He wanted Yosef to say, these are my sons. And he wanted to have Yosef feel that pride of saying, these are my sons. And again, it's a similar message being that 
when you're blessing someone, when uh, you're, you're, you're complimenting someone, it's important that you do it uh, without sort of any inhibitions, that you do it with, um, with, with, a, with a clear laser focus uh, on the good. Okay, so moving on. Um, so Yaakov maneuvers his hands uh, to rest on, you know, so, so, so usually the, the younger son, the, sorry, the older son, the Bachor, the firstborn, would get the bigger blessing and the younger son would get uh, the secondary blessing. But Yaakov, he maneuvers his hands and he rests his right hand, his stronger hand on the younger son Ephraim and he puts his left hand, uh, his weaker hand, the hand with less blessing on the on the Bachor, the 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 firstborn Menashe, and um, yet even though he did that, and even though he explicitly says that the 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 stronger the younger child Ephraim is going to be the stronger um, of the children, and the older child Menashe will still be great, but not as great as his younger brother Ephraim. Despite that, um, the the you know, and and that that seems like something that could cause strife between Ephraim and Menashe. He's basically this grandfather saying one of them is better than the other one. And that kind of favoritism uh, might, you know, as we've seen in in past uh, Parshiot, for example, when uh, Yosef talks about how great he's going to be one day and his brother sold him into slavery. Uh, and, and so seemingly this is a similar kind of event that Ephraim and Menashe could be angry at each other. Yet, they both, uh, they they both did, were silent. They they both accepted sort of their fate. And um, what's particularly and and you know we make a blessing that um, that uh, that on on every Friday night that the sons that a person's sons should be like Ephraim and like Menashe. And uh, possibly one reason for that is because. In this in this instance, where uh, Ephraim was the younger child and he was elevated by Yaakov, and that elevation might have caused gaiva, might have caused sort of haughtiness, that Ephraim thought that he was better than Menashe and sort of could have made made fun of Menashe for being the weaker of the of the of the sons. And on the other hand, Menashe he could have felt down on himself. He could have felt like you know he's the older child, yet despite that, he was still put down. Um, so, so why is that? And, 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 and so despite the fact that either one kind of had, uh, you could have said Ephraim should have had Gaiva, should have had haughtiness. You could have said Menashe would have felt depressed, yet neither one did that. And therefore we say that the children should be like that because even if one child might do better than another child, it's important to realize that, uh, everybody should sort of be, um, sort of content with with their lot. Another possible reason why you bless children to be like Ephraim and like Menashe is because they both were raised in the foreign country of Egypt, and despite not having any infrastructure, they both were able to uh, you know keep their Yiddishkeit, keep their Jewishness uh, in in the face of uh, in the face of of sort of a hostile environment in Egypt. You know what's interesting about this is on one hand, the reason that we bless our children like Ephraim and Menashe is because in, it's just a, uh, one reason was, that was like I said, that uh, they were raised in Egypt in a hostile environment, and that took 
basically many, many years for them to prove themselves that they were not influenced by Egyptian culture. On the other hand, the other, the other reason why you name Ephraim and Menashe, uh, why you bless after Ephraim and Menashe is because of this split second moment where Yaakov puts his hand on one child and, you know, puts his hand on the younger Ephraim instead of the older Menashe. In that split second, they both deserve to be named after, um, named, you know, to, 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 to uh, have a blessing after them for many generations to come. And it's interesting that, so like I said, on one hand, uh, the reason we, we bless after Ephraim and Menashe is a long-term sort of grind that Ephraim and Menashe weren't convinced by the land of Egypt, weren't swayed by that power. And on the other hand, it was a split-second uh, test that Ephraim and Menashe passed to not uh, have animosity against one another. And I think that these two go hand in hand, that, that sometimes it takes a lifetime of work uh, to be, it, it takes a lifetime of work to, to be raised in Egypt and to not be swayed. And, and that lifetime of work, when an opportunity presents itself, like Yaakov seemingly trying to cause animosity between Ephraim and Menashe, it takes that lifetime of work for both of them to be able to refrain from, uh, from, from any hatred toward their brothers. Uh, okay, so moving on. So uh, he says, so Yaakov says, may you proliferate like fish. Uh, and, um, and I heard a nice interpretation here that the Torah is often compared to water. In fish, when it rains, they swim to the surface to sort of get the new rainwater, to feel the new rainwater. And um, they said so too for, you know, people that are learning Torah, even if their lives are totally subsumed by Torah, like a fish is subsumed by water, when there's new Torah or when there's new rain, the fish swims up to the rain to, to feel it. And so too, the Torah scholar, sort of when there's new Torah to be learned, even though you're already surrounded by Torah, you go and swim up, uh, so to speak, to experience that. Um, it, another interpretation for why we name our, for, for, for this blessing, why we bless our children after Ephraim and Menashe is not the Friday night blessing, but instead it's... Um, According to the Targum Yonasan, it's actually at a newborn's bris. And, and Yaakov says that both of these children will be great. And at the bris, you say that, you know, this one should be great. And, um, and you know, Yaakov was able to sort of see the potential in Ephraim and Menashe, even though at this point in time, they weren't as, they weren't great. But he was able to see that potential. And so too at a newborn's bris, even though it's just a, a little red, eight, you know, eight day old newborn baby, uh, that, that, you know, is pretty functionless. You still see its potential to one day become great. Moving on. So Yaakov gives, um, Yosef, the land of Shechem as an additional portion of land above and beyond his other brothers. And I heard here that, you know, this, this additional land of Shechem, it took 200 years for the descendants of Yosef to finally be able to redeem it. Yet that sort of they they hung up to, they hung on to the hope that they had to get this land of Shechem, and that's like the message of the Jewish people that they have always been able to sort of hang on to a, a glimmer of hope, even if it's two hundred years away. Okay, so moving on. So uh, Yaakov, at the end of his life, he blesses all of his all, all the twelve tribes, all of his twelve uh, children, uh, sons, and he says. Um, before he begins the blessing, he he says, "Hey asfu," which means "gather yourselves," 
And um, what's fascinating here is these blessings, even though the Torah calls them blessings, they seemingly are not all blessings. Some of them are actually really rebuke um, about some of the uh, some of the brothers. And um, even though they're not all blessings, in a way, they are all blessings when all the brothers are gathered together. So even though it's true, some people, you know, some, some of these tribes had their strengths and some had their weaknesses. And standing alone, these were really curses because they were saying, you know, you're not good in this way, you're not good in that way, and really pointing out some of these people's weaknesses. However, when all combined together, they were blessings because each one of them sort of knew their own role. Um, so then he says, I'll teach you what will be in the end of days. And even though these blessings, he doesn't really teach what's going to be in the end of days. So Rashi says that he actually forgot uh, this part of the prophecy. But it's been suggested that what he actually ended up saying was even better above and beyond better than, um, than, than telling the people what would be in the end of days because he told them how to get there. You know, it's like it's better um, to teach a man to fish than to give him a fish because ultimately uh, to teach someone to fish, they're going to be able to, to sustain themselves for, for their entire life. And so too here that just telling them one day, you know, in the end of days, this is what, what it's going to look like. That's not that helpful of a model. A more helpful model is to tell them how to get there. And, uh, you know, it's sort of what ends up happening in the end of days, that'll happen regardless. But most importantly is how to get there, how to take those proper steps. And that's ultimately what Yaakov taught uh, the 12, uh, his 12 sons. Moving on. So um, he curses Shimon and Levi's anger. Rashi points out here, he didn't curse Shimon and Levi themselves, just their anger. And uh, the lesson here is that basically people can change their emotions. You know, uh, Shimon and Levi, when they're together, they have anger. But um, Yaakov says, as long as they're apart, then they're okay, because that ang- that that emotion of anger is is uh, tampered. So if if all that, you know, if we have a bad character trait, we should hate that. We shouldn't hate ourselves. We should just hate that bad character trait. And ultimately, it'll be possible for that bad character trait to evolve and, um, and, and change. So moving on. So Yehuda... Uh, he, it, the the parsha says that Yehuda lies down like a lion, and what's interesting here is when you think of a lion, you think of a lion attacking, you think of a lion pouncing, uh, you think of a lion, you know, on on the attack, out for blood. So why does Yehuda say a lion lies down? Yehuda will be a lion like that lies down like a lion instead of a lion that attacks. And I think the reason is is because Yehuda. Ultimately, is going to be um, King David is going to be one of his descendants, and the whole line of the David, the 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 the, the dynasty of David Melech is going to come from Yehuda, and uh, a king shouldn't necessarily be known as a lion that pounces. It's much better to be a king that a lion. It's much better uh, to be a lion that lies down. Because uh, a king, it should be clear that, yeah, a lion that lies down still has that power. If the lion wants to jump up and attack, it's possible that it can. Yet it chooses to lie down. And ultimately, power, it most lies in restraint. So you think about a king has the ability to chop off anyone's head at any any point in time. But it's a, a much stronger, more powerful king. Yes, it's true that king has the ability to chop off anyone's head. 
but chooses not to, and that's ultimately a much more powerful king. And that's why uh, a lion, Yehuda, is like a lion that lies down, not a lion that pounces, because a lion that shows restraint, a leader, a king that shows restraint, is ultimately even more powerful than a leader that just always acts on impulses. Another interesting thing is, in this long blessing of Yehuda, the letter Zion is never mentioned, and I heard that Kli Zion, that's the name of, uh, that, that, that's like a, a weapon in Hebrew, and so, so similarly that basically, uh, while there might be weapons available for the Jewish people, they're not going to, they're not going to really use them. It, it'll be more like a lion that lies down. Yeah, you have the power, but ultimately the restraint is, uh, is more important. All right. So moving to Yisachar. So the land was pleasant, uh, for Yisachar, yet he bent his shoulder and became a laborer. And the lesson here is that, you know, even when times are good, uh, it's important that we never totally settle. That even though Yisachar's land was pleasant, he could have uh, just retired, he wasn't, wasn't happy with that, and he bent his shoulder and became an indentured laborer. And uh, it's interesting that Yisachar, he um, was known for, for his Torah study, in fact, uh, the fixed calendar that we use today come from the descendants of Yisachar. And uh, he was, he's known for his tremendous Torah study that figuring out the calendar is very, very difficult. Uh, yet he was willing to sort of bend his shoulder and do the work. And uh, I heard that sort of being willing to bend your shoulder, to, be a, to labor over Torah, to, 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 to think hard, it's difficult work, but ultimately it's so, that's why his land was pleasant. It's because he was willing to bend his shoulder. It's because he was willing to uh, to labor, to work hard, and that's why he he sort of had a pleasant uh, a pleasant land. It wouldn't have been as pleasant if he wasn't willing to to work as hard for it. So after Yaakov dies, Yosef, um, according to the commentaries, Yosef stops inviting his brothers for dinner, and Rav Hirsch says here that parents. They ultimately, you know, they, they keep their kids together. That if it weren't for that once, once Yaakov dies, there was really no reason for the brothers to get together as often. And I think that goes to show you just how much we should value those people in our lives that bring us together. Because without them, it may be that there's not really a reason to get together and we, we sort of fall out of touch. So it's important. Um, it, it just goes to show the, the power that Yaakov had over his whole family, that, that Yaakov was the reason that all the brothers would get together for dinner. Um, so, so, but given that they don't get together as much anymore, uh, yeah, um, the, the brothers assume that they are being punished by Yosef uh, for selling him into slavery all those years ago. And the, the brothers are so terrified, they even offered to become slaves again to Yosef. And, um, and, and Yosef says, no, no, you know, this was, I was sent by, I was sent by God. Um, don't worry about it. But, it, but this, this, this story really goes to show that relationships are tenuous relationships. They're always in need of work that there's never a moment that a relationship is just perfectly fine. Even though it seems like Yosef and his brothers were in a moment of, you know, they've lived together in Egypt for so long already, and, and they've gotten together, they've gotten along very well. But you can see that there's still some animosity, there's still some worry that uh, Yosef is going to punish them and make them slaves. And, uh, and, and, you know, so too, for, for those that we know in our lives, it's important to keep those relationships sharp and never just assume that, uh, 
that that the relationship is is settled, is done, is you know, and and you can write it off. It's important you're always working on, um, on uh, on on those relationships because we we can see here that Yosef he sort of dropped. He he wasn't as close with his brothers, and because of that, because he wasn't nurturing that his relationship with his brothers, ultimately that caused his brothers to feel like there was animosity against them, and and he might end up punishing them. Um, so it's important to always realize that you know that uh, that relationships can be tenuous, and and they always need to work to to keep them uh, strong. Okay, so to recap what I talked about, I spoke about how the parsha started with Chesed ve'Emet that that Yaakov wanted. Uh, truth and kindness to be done to him to bury him in the land of Egypt. And I said there's two ways to interpret this. Is So Rashi says, chesed shel emet. It's really, this is like kindness of truth. And Rashi says this is only possible when doing something kind for someone that's dead because ultimately they can never help you back. And I said two lessons. One is when you do chesed, when you do kindness for a living person, it's not always clear that it's ultimately for the best. But when you do it for a dead person, um, then it, there, it's clear that, uh, that, that what you're doing is for the best. The second reason I gave is that you can flip this on its head, that, um, <clears throat> that Rashi says that only in death can a person never repay you. So the assumption is that if someone does something nice for you, the assumption is that you're going to reciprocate that. As long, so, so long as you're living, so long as your heart is still beating, it's assumed that if someone does chesed for you, uh, that you'll return the favor with a smile, with a thank you note, uh, with doing something kind for them uh, in return. Moving on. So after Yosef swears to take uh, Yaakov's body um, back to the land of Israel, Yaakov, he bows down to the head of the bed. And I explained that Rashi, the reason he bowed down to the head of the bed is Rashi explains that the Shekhinah, the divine presence, it rests near the head of the bed. And Rabbi Wolby says the reason for that is because the sick people, uh, sick people, the reason that the Shekhinah rests near the head of, of the sick people is that sick people realize their own fallibility. They realize they are not perfect. Uh, they realize that they're close to death. And because of that, it's, it's uh, specifically because of that uh, realization that the Shekhinah, the divine presence, is there uh, with them. Moving on, so Yaakov makes Ephraim and Menashe one of his own children. And why is that? Rav Moshe Feinstein explains that Yosef he, even though Ephraim and Menashe had lived in the land of Egypt for most, for basically their entire childhoods, and did not know Yaakov, um, he was ya- Yosef was such a tremendous teacher that it was as if Yaakov, it was as if the grandfather, even though they didn't interact until later on in life, it was as if the grandfather Yaakov was their teacher, was their was their father, so to speak. Okay, so moving on, uh, so Yaakov says, "Mi Eila, who are these?" Uh, so when Ephraim and Menashe were going to get a blessing, Yaakov asks, who are these? But the obvious question is here, wait a minute, Ephraim, uh, Yaakov, he knows who they are. He's lived with, uh, he's lived with them in Egypt for quite some time now. So how does he not know his own grandchildren? So the Midrash explains that Yaakov saw that wicked kings would come from both Ephraim and Menashe and he was so distraught with this fact in the, that in the future there would be wicked descendants of Ephraim and Menashe. He wasn't willing to. Uh, he, he he was, it, and he, he was he was so distraught from that that in, the only way to be able to bless someone is bless them uh, and forget the bad quality, forget their bad qualities. If you're going to compliment someone, bless them, thank them. It's important to first forget 
you know, any bad things, any, any animosity we have toward them to forget it, to put it in the past. And even though he saw that future generations of Ephraim and Manasseh would be evil, uh, he sort of, Yaakov was able to forget all of that. And he forgot it to the extent that he even forgot who Ephraim and Manasseh were. But it's important to realize that taking a playbook, you know, from Yaakov is that we should drop things. Uh, we should, uh, you know, if, if there was um, something that we see that's bad in a person, but we want to thank them, we want to bless them, it's important to forget about all those bad things. The Orachayim here says that Yosef, he, the reason he says Miela is because Yaakov wanted Yosef to say, these are my sons and feel such pride that these are my sons that ultimately um, through that pride, it would give Yaakov, it would just sort of rub off on Yaakov and give him pride to think about these are my grandchildren and then he would be able to give uh, a great blessing that way. So Yaakov uh, maneuvers his hands to rest his right hand, the stronger hand, on the younger brother Ephraim and then put his left hand, his weaker hand, on the Bechor, on the firstborn, Manasseh, even though you would think that the older brother, Manasseh, would get the better blessing. And um, I spoke about how there are two reasons why uh, we say, two possible reasons why we say that you should be like Ephraim and Manasseh. One reason I gave is the long-term view that Ephraim and Manasseh had lived in the land of Egypt um, without really any Jewish infrastructure in Galud in, uh, you know, in exile. And despite living in that exile, they were able to, uh, <clears throat> they, they were still able to, to not only survive, but thrive and still hold on to their Jewish roots. And that's sort of the long-term view. They were able throughout their entire childhood, throughout their entire education, still hold on to their, their, their roots. And that's why we bless sons after Ephraim and Manasseh. The other reason I gave is sort of this split second thing that Yaakov, it's just in the split second that Yaakov maneuvers his hands uh, to bless the younger one instead of the older one. And because of that, uh, you would have expected animosity between the brothers. You would have expected the older brother to feel down on himself. And you would have expected the younger brother to feel gaiva, to feel haughtiness uh, towards his younger, towards his older brother. And despite sort of these expectations of animosity, they didn't have them. And it's in that split second they didn't have animosity, that's why they're praised. And I said that sometimes in order to pass a split second test, like not feeling hatred toward your brother, even though one was favored over the other, um, to, to pass split second tests like that, it takes a lifetime of training which fits in well with the other reason why we bless after Ephraim and Manasseh being that uh, it took an entire lifetime of training to hold on to their Jewish roots despite the obstacles. So um, the other reason, the, the other blessing that we possibly bless according to the Targum, Targum Yonasan, like Ephraim and Manasseh, is at a newborn's bris that uh, Yaakov said that Ephraim and Manasseh would become great nations, even though right now, at this point in their lives, they didn't even have a nation to speak of. So how could they become great? And so too at Abrish, at Abris, we say that uh, a newborn, even though it's just a little red, you know, newborn baby that, that can hardly move its neck, uh, the, the, we say that that child one day will become great. Um, and and uh, so that's a nice connection between Ephraim and Manasseh, even though they didn't seem great at the time, they, Yaakov saw their potential, and so too we see that potential in uh, the little newborn. Moving on, so may we proliferate like fish. Um, so, 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 so Yaakov blesses from Menasha that they should proliferate like fish uh, by Yidgu Lurav. 
And I heard that Torah is often compared to water and fish. They when it rains, they 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 swim to the to the top of um to the top of the ocean to the top of the lake, and to to sort of get some of that new fresh water that came in as rain. And so too when a Torah scholar. Uh, even though a Torah scholar is surrounded by water all their, you know, surrounded by Torah all their lives, like a fish is surrounded by water, uh, when they get a little drop, uh, you know, some new rain, some new Torah knowledge, they are quick to 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 uh, to soak it up. Moving on, so Yaakov he gives Yosef the land of Shechem, uh, which is an additional portion of land above and beyond his brothers, and that wouldn't be redeemed for two hundred years. Yet the Jewish people sort of. In the land of Egypt, they hung on to this hope. The descendants of, of Yosef hung on to the to the promise that they got, that they would get the land of Shechem. And that sort of prompted them, that uh, helped them get through all those tough years of slavery. And so too, you know, the Jewish people, even though times might seem rough at certain times, uh, we sort of have this unfallible belief, infallible belief that ultimately things will work out for the good. Um, okay, so Yo- Yosef, uh, Yaakov begins his blessings for all of his 12 sons, and he says, uh, hey, Asfu, to, to gather yourselves. And I said, some of these blessings don't really seem like blessings. Some of them seem actually like criticisms. Yet, when when they are combined, when everybody's combined, they realize that their strengths and their weaknesses fit perfectly together, and when all together... Um, you know, one person's strength is another person's weakness, and they're able to all combine in one cohesive unit and work together great uh, as a team. So, Yos- so, so Yaakov says, I'll teach you what will be in the end of days, but never actually tells them what will be in the end of days. And Rashi says that he actually forgot what was going to be in the end of days. But I said that this might even, the blessings that he gave them was even better because it's better to teach a person how they're going to get to the top of the mountain than to teach them what the view is going to look like from the top. So even though he wasn't willing, you know, even though Yaakov wasn't able to tell them what would be in the end of days, exactly how it would be like, a more valuable lesson is how to get there. Moving on, so he curses, Yaakov curses Shimon and Levi's anger. And Rashi says, he didn't curse their. He didn't curse Shimon and Levi themselves. And the lesson we can learn is that anger and an emotion, a character trait, it's something that we can change. So we shouldn't hate ourselves, but we should hate our negative character traits. And by hating our negative character traits, it's possible that we could change and become better people. So Yehuda is blessed that he lies down like a lion. And I said, wait a minute. Lions, they attack. Lions, they pounce. Lions, they, they're out for blood. Why is this imagery of lying down like a lion? And I said that power truly lies in restraint, that a, a truly powerful king, even though a king has the power to cut off anyone's head at any moment, a truly powerful king is one that holds back and doesn't just uh, lash out at, at every whim. Um, also, I said that there's no letter Zion in this blessing, and that's because Kli Zion is a weapon, and uh, the leaders of the Jewish people, like King David, who would be descendants of Yehuda, that uh, David Melach, that 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 uh, they would ultimately not be such violent people, that they would really lead with uh, with their speech, with their intellect, as opposed to with their with their strength, with their weaponry. Moving on, so for Yisachar. Uh, it says the land was pleasant, yet he bent his shoulder. Yet he bent his shoulder and became a laborer. And here we can learn that it's you know you should never even if you have your land is pleasant, everything's good. You shouldn't necessarily retire. 
you should be willing to work and uh, even to become a laborer if it means improving the lives of, lives of others. And that's what Yisachar did, that they ultimately came up with the complicated calendar system that we still use today um, because uh, through that, through that, even though Yisachar had it good, they were still willing to work on behalf of other people to help them. Um, I also talked about how just for Yisachar that when you, you know, you're working very hard on, on an issue, that ultimately that's pleasant, that the, only, the reason the land was pleasant is because they worked. Okay, so after Yaakov dies, Yosef stops inviting the brothers for dinner, and Rav Hirsch says that once a parent leaves, then it's more difficult. Once a parent dies, it's more difficult to get the kids together. And I said, you know, we shouldn't underappreciate those in our lives that bring us together uh, as family, as friends, etc., and, uh, but after, again, after Yaakov dies, the, the brothers felt worried that, ya- that Yosef wasn't inviting them for dinner. So he assumed that the brothers assumed that they were, that Yaakov was, that Yosef was still angry at the brothers for selling him into slavery all those years ago. And they even offered to be slaves for Yosef this, at this point. And Yosef says, no, no, I was serious about what I said last time that, uh, that God truly sent me here and, and, you know, I, I have no animosity toward, toward my brothers. Um, but just the very fact that the story even happened, the fact that the brothers felt like they might uh, be punished for, being, for, for selling Yosef all these years later, it goes to show you that, you know, it's like scars, in a, scars last a long time. And it's important that relationships are always worked on, that uh, they're, they're sort of an assumption they're always tenuous, to, so to speak. They always need work. They always need a development. And with that, I'll read my poem. Yaakov put his hand on the younger and his left hand on the older. Yisachar's land was pleasant, yet he bent his shoulder. Yehuda is compared to a crouching lion. After his death, Yaakov was brought back to Zion. Chazak, chazak, venit chazek, and l'chaim l'chaim.